So now it's time to find out if I remember how to do all of this. It's been a little while. I am so happy to be back with you all after my sabbatical. I am so grateful to you all for allowing me this long overdue extended time to get myself in order and get my ministry in order because that's that's what I needed. I was in deep need of just reorganizing what I was doing with my life because before I left, after a year and a half of pandemic ministry, after a year and a half of doing remote services and turning into a television producer instead of a preacher necessarily, before I left at the end of May, I was tired. I was feeling so much despair for how things were going, and I was unfocused in my work, and I was feeling anxious all the time about getting things done and serving you well, and I was feeling defeated on the inside in my own assessment of how I was doing at that point. And really, I was uncertain of what my calling was anymore. Uncertain of what it meant to be a minister in these times. My colleagues and I would talk constantly about how none of us were trained to do what we had been doing throughout the pandemic. And the creation of videos took up so much time that it took away time to do some of the other work of ministry that I enjoyed And then I started watching colleagues of mine and friends leave their churches, walk away from the ministry completely. It was not a great atmosphere to be serving a call at the time. And what I needed, what I expressed needing, was was rest and some time to rediscover what the call meant for the future. But in watching everything that was going on, what my animal desire was, and what I might not have been speaking up, was just run. Escape. Get out of it. It was not a good place to be. All I knew at that point is I needed to spend some time just not being a minister. And in the lead-up, people would ask me, what are your plans, John? What are you going to do on your sabbatical? And I had a different answer every time. The answer was, all the plans. I have all of the plans. I'm going to do everything I've ever wanted to do, somehow compressed into this five-month span. But uh, you and I know both, even though I couldn't admit it to myself at the time, that when you have all of the plans, you really have no plan at all. And that's what I was facing and not being able to admit to myself on the inside. So by the end, as we approached the beginning of sabbatical and people asked me what my plans were, I would just say, you know, I think if I just take a five-month-long nap, it'll probably be the best thing I could do for myself and everyone else. And friends, for for the first month, for the month of June, that is pretty much what I did. Now, I only been joking about the five-month-long nap, but my body had other plans as soon as I stepped away. 
I slept more in that month than I have in over a year. I slept late. I took naps. I listened to what my physical self was telling me about what I needed. And I took a lot of rest. More than I ever expected. And then... By July, I was itching to do something because John loves a project. They're easy to get a handle on. And so I started remodeling my home office space. It had been living in a transition between my son's old bedroom and my workspace for six or seven years. And so I finally cleared everything out and repainted and got things on the wall the way that I wanted it and made it a space that I would want to work from and Zoom from and be in and be creative in. And so I, I got that done. I finished that project. And then August rolled around. And I had rested a bunch. And I had done my project. And then I looked at all the plans. And got to a point where I couldn't pick just one. There was too much. And so I did... Nothing, and I started to feel a little lost in that moment. What about all my plans? Why am I not doing anything? What is wrong with me that I can't seem to work up any motivation to do or be? And then the Delta variant arrived, and the infection spikes went up, even here in this community, and I learned that you all went back to completely virtual services, And I just dropped down into that despair again. And around the middle of the month, right on my birthday exactly, a great day for this to happen, I had a complete breakdown. I just emotionally fell apart. Now, I didn't know what my plans really were, but I do know that completely falling apart was not one of the plans that I had for the sabbatical because, you know, I had it together. I was in good shape, right? But no, I was falling down this spiral and just living in the bottom of it, convincing myself in this internal dialogue that I hadn't done enough and I wasn't doing enough And therefore, I wasn't worthy enough to be among people. And I wasn't loved enough because I wasn't doing enough. And that I was now and would be forever letting everybody down. Which is not true. I mean, I know intellectually in my head that is absolutely not true. But that, that folks, is how my brain works. I've joked with you before about being the king of the worst-case scenario, and sometimes it is amusing to observe myself doing that, but the reality is the part that's not a joke and the part that I have struggled with for a long time is that when I get into these spirals, when I start thinking about how things can go wrong and be bad, I cast myself into a pit. I fall right down into a hell of my own making and I set up house there. And that's what I was doing now. 
in the middle of restaurant renewal, that's where I was starting to live, and that's really where I had been living for a long time. And there was something in there that is deeply rooted and seated and needed to be addressed. But this time, rather than wallowing the despair and living in that hell for too long, this time, the words that feed my moral compass popped up in my head. It's a simple phrase, and it's one that guides me. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And so I got out of bed. I walked into the living room and I sat down and I just let the breakdown happen with someone I love and I trust. And I was able to say for the first time out loud, I don't know what's wrong. I'm just sad and angry all the time. And there it was out in the open, right there on the table, the reality of my depression that I was ignoring and could not acknowledge. There's a concept in improvisation, a platitude, we say. Everything we need to complete the scene is right there in front of us meaning we all know what we need to do. Somewhere in the midst of all our intelligences is everything we need to go, need to do to move a scene forward. We just have to accept what has been offered to us to build upon it. Now, these are, these are easy concepts when you're doing improvisation and the stakes are very, very low to non-existent. You can, you can accept any ridiculous reality that's being created on a stage. You can take what you know and build upon that. But when the scene is your own life and the reality that is being offered isn't something you want to accept, isn't something you want to build on necessarily, the platitudes seem like platitudes and not easy to work with. My colleague Heather Janulis, in the reading I shared with you today, talks about life coming at you in bulk. And that is certainly what I was feeling in that moment and honestly what I had been feeling for months and months at that point. And it's easy, she says, to feel grateful in times of abundant stability and joy. But the challenge is to be present to the things that make us afraid or depleted or feel hurt. To find the gifts in those things, too. And deep down, that's the thing about acceptance and building upon things building upon a reality in improvisation too. The yes that we talk about, that's, that's an act of gratitude for what is there to be worked with. No matter how joyful, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how painful the reality that is in front of us might be. And to being able to 
speak that reality finally. To have someone else in the room while I spoke it. To be able to offer it to myself finally. I was able to find a sense of gratitude because now what I was struggling with had a name. And I found within that the courage to deal with what I needed to deal with. To accept what is in front of me and build upon it. Everything I needed was right in front of me. And so I went out and got the good antidepressants. And I went out and found myself a therapist who specializes in working with clergy. And it's a long road to deal with everything I've been dealing with. But those changes alone have made a huge difference in just the last few months for me. That I was able to start thinking again about what it meant to be called to be a minister. I hadn't been actively thinking about it up until that point. And right now I was just relearning how to be kind and compassionate to my own self. Because that's a project. And then the 20th anniversary of 9-11 hit. And I found myself living in this wave of, I don't want to call it nostalgia, but I don't know a better word for it at this point. Memory. Remembering where I was at that time and how it affected me and what I was doing and how that was one of the factors that opened me up into that call to ministry. There were realities I was looking at in the world that I needed to address, that I couldn't live with, that the voice in me said, It didn't have to be this way. I looked around in the wake of 9-11 and saw this fierce individualism that closed people off from one another and created selfishness and hatred and division. And I saw that individualism leading into a disconnection among people and among peoples. And we were leaning into that hard eventually creating this atmosphere of mistrust, one person to another, one group to another, and eventually a very false and narrow sense of patriotism, of what it meant to be an American and who got to be in that club. And we as a people turned to these knee-jerk autonomic responses of hatred and mistrust. And the voice in my head said, it doesn't have to be this way. And I don't have to allow it to be this way. I can live differently. I don't have to live into that. I can live differently in front of people. And that's not the whole story of my call to ministry, but it is a big part of it. And those realities on the ground 20 years ago are even more the reality on the ground right now. We talk so much about 
my rights and my freedoms over and above what any of us might need to share or do to take care of one another. And we are still deeply divided in this us versus them mentality, one that especially still creates that false sense of patriotism, that false sense of what it means to be American here in our country. A definition of us that leaves out most of us. I realized I hadn't lost my sense of call over the last few years. I had just forgotten what the roots were. I hadn't stayed grounded in it. And I realized then, yes, I still want to be a minister. I want to be a minister for the same reasons I wanted to be a minister 20 years ago. Because if I can build a community that moves us towards something bigger than any of us, that pulls us out of our navel-gazing and into a true sense of community, then yes, I still want to be a minister. And if I can build a community that helps to shine the light and hold on to connections that have been lost or let go of amidst the division and the hatred and the misunderstanding in our world, then yes... I still want to be a minister. And if I can help to create a community built on the sense that it doesn't have to be this way and that tries to live in new and better ways and live them in a public way to show the whole community it does not have to be this way, then yes, I still want to be a minister. And furthermore, added on to what I've learned in the last several months about myself, if I can continue to learn and to struggle with being kind to myself and compassionate to myself, and I can pass those lessons on, and I can be a mirror and a listening post to you in your own quest for kindness and compassion to yourself, then yes, I still want to be a minister. And if I can be a companion to you all in the times when life is coming at you in bulk, help us sift through the reality at hand so that we can find the moments of gratitude in the chaos and the pain that we might be facing, then yes, I still want to be a minister. And this is my commitment now, coming back to you. This is my commitment to my ministry, to my calling, and to my work among you. I still want to be the minister I wanted to be 20 years ago, and more so now. None of these were the answers that I wanted. But in truth, five months ago, I don't think I was even sure what I wanted. But in having the time to listen to myself, to accept the reality in front of me, 
I got what I needed. And what I need to do is minister among you. I'm ready to begin again. I hope you're ready to begin again with me. Maybe so.